uh, Genesis chapter 32, I want to speak a message to you this morning out of Genesis 32 and share the face of God, what it is to see the face of God. Many of you know the story of Jacob and Esau. I would encourage you to read it again today, and I'm going to focus in on one specific passage in one area. How many of you remember when Jacob was born, he held on to the heels of Esau? Esau was the firstborn, but Jacob, that supplanter, that one who would take over, that one who steals he held on to that heel and he was going to trip up his brother bad. How many of you know that, right? Man, that was rough. That's how Jacob came out of the womb and it didn't get much better through his life. And I want to read to you a portion of scripture in, Jacob, uh, in Genesis 32. We're going to start at 22. That same night, I'm reading from the ESV. The same night Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with God. Then he said, let me go. Jacob said, let me go. I'm sorry, the angel said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Didn't that, isn't that how Jacob started out in life? He wouldn't let go of Esau's heel, would he? The guy had a grip. He had a grip. And he wouldn't let go of the angel of the Lord. And he said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob asked him, what's your name? And he said, why do you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So Jacob is in a wrestling match with, as he comes to realize, God himself. This is a theophany. This is an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, obviously before he came in flesh. You'll see in the Old Testament many times when the angel of the Lord speaks. He speaks in the first person. That's the word of the Lord. He is the angel. He is the God of angel armies. That's Jesus. That's the Lord. And here we have Jacob wrestling, and his conclusion is this was more than an angel, this was more than a man. And he says, I've seen the face of God. I don't know about you, but as I had you stand today, I know many of us have been through a lot. Jacob, if you'll see in this passage, is left alone. He's all by himself. All his properties on the other side of the river. The man was rich. He connived his way and worked his way through all sorts of things. He was a rich man at this point. All his cattle, his camels, his goats, his chickens, his, and, and all of his wives and kids, everybody, he's alone. 
You know, you can have a lot of stuff and still be alone. How many of you know that? There's a war in here. This guy was a supplanter. The name Jacob means supplanter. It means one who is to trip up and to overflow. He grabbed his brother's heels and tripped him all through his life. Tricked him into giving up his birthright. And then, conniving, he lied. He's a liar. He's a liar. He lied to his father under the advice of his mother. That's one messed up family. He lies, he tricks, he steals, he stole his brother's blessing because he's a supplanter. He holds on till he gets what he wants. How many of you know that? Some of you are just like that. God's trying to tell you, would you let go? There are some things that many of us need to let go of. You're trying to still remedy it. You're still trying to tame it. You're still trying to fix it. And God said, would you bring it to the altar so I can kill it? Would you let go of this? tripping things up. And then he goes and he falls in love with uh, uh, Rachel, right? Gorgeous. Works seven years to get her. He ends up with Leah. (laughs) Woke up that morning to the wrong wife. He was tricked. How many of you know what goes around comes around? That ain't in the Bible, but it sure shows up. Had to work another seven years. This guy is just constantly conniving. But here's the thing. God tells him to go back to his brother. Now, he is in fear. He's got to go back to Esau. And he left Esau when Esau was furious, wanted to kill him. And all he has is the memory of what was the sin. Now, I know that many of you have been through sin. Many of you have done horrendous things. We all have. We could all spend the next day here confessing our sins one to another and saying what we've done. You wouldn't believe what has gone on with this group of people right here. If you knew, half of you would leave. (laughs) But that's the testimony of the saving power of Jesus. Here he is. It's late at night. How many of you know when you're tired and it's dark and you're lonely? (laughs) God gets a grip on you and he won't let go. You think your grip's strong. But then when God grabs you and he grabs your heart and he had to, Jacob had gotten to a place where he had to wrestle with his sin. He had to realize and confront his sin. That's the only place you can get saved is when you come to the cross and recognize I have sinned. I have fallen short of God. And Jacob had to come to a salvation moment. He had to come to a place where he recognized his complete failure. This could be the end of his life. This could be the end of all his possessions. This could be the end of his wives. If you read this passage, oh, this conniver, this guy, he sent a gift to his brother. He sent camels on ahead. He sent cattle on ahead. And he put a space between them, figuring if his brother's just going to kill them all, he's going to get tired by the time he gets to me. He sends the camels, he sends the cows, he sends the lambs, he sends the goats. Hundreds after hundreds of them with, uh, it's like a parade. With a space in between. Then get this, he sends his concubines out with her kids. Then he sends Leah out with her kids. Then he, last of all, because he loves Rachel, he sends her out. And then he said, I'll take the rear, I'll cover the rear and we'll see what happens. 
Still trying to pad the situation. Still try to remedy his and soften the blow. How many of us have been trying to do this with our sin, with our failure? And he's scared to death because it's the moment of truth. He's got to meet Esau face to face. But before you can meet your sin, you have to meet God. Because most of us don't even know what sin is. Most of us don't even recognize what failures we've done unto the holiness of God. How many of you have had a God moment where He reveals your sin, He pulls back the blinder, and you see it and you go, Oh no, really? I had justified this thing. I had bent it and shaped it just to where it fit in the, in the right spot in my living room, and you exposed it for what it was. It's like when you pull your refrigerator back from the wall and you realize, what is all that? You've got old M&M's there. You've got that souffle that you dropped three years ago. Remember your, your daughter's gerbil that got away? There it is. You realize you've been living with that mess in your kitchen. You've got to meet God. Jacob meets him and, and he wrestles. God wrestles with him. He said, uh, you want to wrestle? Come on. You, you want to? Let's go outside. <laughs> Jacob's, it, he just grabs hold. He grabs what he wants. He grabs hold. And he grabs hold of God. And they're wrestling and wrestling. But how many of you know God let himself get caught? Because you just read the story and he goes, you know what? I'm tired of this. This is enough. And he goes, boop. Oh, oh. Knocked his hip out of joint. You just touched him. Instead of cry uncle, cry Yahweh. <laughs> just touches him. But here's that guy. He won't let go. You know, when you need an answer... You won't let go. I think of mothers who pray. Come on. There's nothing like a mom who prays for her kids. She won't let go. God, you've got to heal my child. Bring them home. Bring them home. Bring them home. Bring them home. Don't give up. Men, you too, don't give up. Don't give up. Here he is in the darkest point, darkest moment. He's got to face all his sin. And God tells him, you're Jacob. You're a troublemaker. You're a supplanter. You are one who just always trips up people. You always overthrow. You always want your way. And you're a conniver. You're a liar. That's what the name meant. All of that meant. He lived up to his name. And God said, I'm changing that name right now. I'm going to re-identify you. I'm going to reclassify you from a sinner into a saint. I'm going to take you out of this muck and this mire, and I'm going to elevate you into a place of right relationship with me. You will be Israel. You will be one who strives with God and who is a prince, who has favor, who triumphs with God, no longer against God. And that's what he did with Jacob. And he gave him a new name. And Jacob said, what? I have what? Seen, I have seen God face to face. 
You recognize the nature of God. You recognize the character of God. The world thinks God is an ogre. The world thinks God is a vengeful, angry God that is ready to blast anybody with a lightning bolt and kill him. But when you meet God, who is Christ Jesus, revealing, as Philip said, show us the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the face of God. As Jacob wrestled with the face, he recognized that God is forgiving God is gracious, God is merciful, and God gives us a new lease on life, a new identity. We cannot correct our lives, only God can change us. He met God face to face, and he still lived. So, with that, he goes on. With that, He walks on now to see his brother. He still puts the parade ahead of him. Tells his servants, tell him that these are gifts for him. (laughs) How many of you know when you get saved, you still keep some patterns and behaviors uh, that you brought into this thing, right? You know, when he finally met Esau, he realized, in fact, Esau said, "I I don't need this stuff. You don't need to give me all this stuff. We think we can add to our salvation. We think we can bring something into it. And God, yeah, I, I'm going to keep doing this. And God said, I don't need any of that. You, don't, <laughs> you know what? Just follow me. Listen to me. And so many of us are saved. We've had that face-to-face moment with God. We've had FaceTime with God. Amen? <laughs> Nothing better than FaceTime with God. We need to get rid of these behaviors and these patterns we still keep in, the parades we keep walking in and the relationships we keep. We've got to realize who we are now in him. And that's what Jacob, that's what God told Jacob. You're Israel now. You're not Jacob anymore. Esau's not meeting Jacob. Esau is meeting Israel. One who triumphs with God. I've got you covered, Israel. I bet it took a while for, for Jacob to get used to the new name. Just like it takes us a little while, doesn't it, to get used to this new position we're in. For some of you, it's been 30 years. You're getting there. We're getting there. I bet God talked to him. Israel. Is, is, is he? Israel. Hey. And he's not used to hearing it. Israel. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I, I was still on Jacob. Yes, Lord. But he goes and he meets Esau. And Esau tells him in chapter 33, verse 8, Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob said, to find favor in your sight, my Lord. As if you can do something, you know, how how many people with God, they they try to clean up their act to be accepted by God. There's, there's you know, that's like washing a pig. It's still a pig. No offense. But we all are, aren't we? We're sinners. You can't clean that up. You can't fix that. He's the only one that can. And, and so that mindset, he's going to, here's a gift for you, Esau, that maybe you'd like me. I know I stole your blessing. I know I stole your birthright. Basically, I ruined your life. So I thought I could buy it back with some camels and donkeys. But Esau himself went on to a life that was rich. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please. If, if I found favor in your sight, then accept my presence from my hand. For I have 
seen your face, he says to Esau. I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. Because you've accepted me. Isn't that a weird statement? Esau, you've accepted me. Your face is like the face of God. I've seen the face of God. So, What's he talking about? When did he ever see the face of God? Oh, he did see the face of God. Isn't it interesting he would use the same phrase of the event he just had with God? And so I would ask you, brothers and sisters, what is the face of God? To see the face of God that you wrestle with and then to see the face of God in someone else who forgives, that's the face of God. A God who forgives. That's the face of God, a loving God, a gracious God, a forgiving God, a benevolent God. Esau modeled God's own face. Don't you realize that when we take communion, this last supper that we took today, we're seeing the face of God. When Paul says that you are to discern the Lord's body, that when you take this meal and when you eat of it, he said you're not to eat it unworthily. So what does that mean, unworthily, to take communion? Does it mean to have sin? Well, that's why he died for you. Of course you have sin. The unworthy manner is that you would not reflect his face of forgiveness. How could we share in a meal that says, I forgive you of all your sins, but we would not forget, forgive someone else? We're to be the face of God. This world has no clue how to see what Jesus is and what God's like, except through us. We're the face of God. And that face of God is to forgive and to release. That truly is the nature of God's holiness. We've been talking about the holiness of God, which is the fruit of His nature. The love, the joy, the peace, the gentleness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the, the, the self-control, the patience. This is the nature of God. It is released unto others. That's the character of God. We see the face of God in what He's done for us, we must become the face of God in how we release it to others. You must forgive! Or we are unworthily taking this meal. Paul went on to say, that's why many of you are sick and many have even died because of the contradiction in our walk. When we say, yes, I'm saved, yes, I'm born again, I've been forgiven of all my sins, but you, you rotten, stinking. It's a contradiction in nature. It cannot work. And it, it begins to uh, disrupt the flow of God in our hearts and minds. So the face of God is forgiveness. Is there anybody here that's been forgiven of sin? Anybody? Anybody forgiven of sin? You've seen the face of God then. Then how can we not forgive another? This is what Jacob realized. He wrestled with God and he was forgiven for what he had done. Given a new identity. And when he saw his brother, he didn't have to wrestle with his brother. His brother had forgiven him and he said, I've seen the face of God. 
I want your family to see the face of God in you. Let me read to you a portion of Scripture. I want you to understand something so unique about God. God is so holy, He cannot allow any sin to go unpunished. Did you know this? You see, He is a righteous judge. Could you imagine if God allowed even the smallest sin, let's say a white lie. I don't know where that term came from. I guess someone tried to scrub it up, clean it up, made it white. For a righteous judge to look the other way concerning a particular sin, would He still be righteous? No. God cannot, God will not allow one single sin to go unpunished. His wrath against sin is ferocious. It has no right to exist in His creation. And we generate it and we produce it. And He said all sin will be condemned and judged. Every sin judged. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. Our God is an all-consuming fire of holiness. And so don't ever take for granted one minute one of your sins that wasn't paid for by Jesus Christ. Every sin was paid for for you and me. There is no trivial sin. It was placed upon our Savior. He paid for every sin there was. Now, get this. The sin that so separated us from the holiness of God now through Christ puts us on the side of holiness to where now that cross protects us from any condemnation. That same wrath of God against sin is now the love of God for you, the one who's been cleansed of sin. Let me read this scripture to you found in Romans 8, 31, 34. If you hear... No, no, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Let me read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to you. Um... If you hear the sin you committed, stand up. No, no, never mind. Don't do that. <laughs> but I, I, this verse is amazing to me. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's what I'm saying. Any, any speck, any ounce of unrighteousness that we have, any, any aspect of sin, the minute you took your first breath as, an, as, an, as a baby, as a child, we're born in sin. I mean... Nothing can get to heaven. He says, don't be deceived. And then he lists sins. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters. That's putting anything before God. Anything else in your life that you put before God, that's idolatry. Nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Now, uh, we're in a a bit of a a warfare on this issue on, on sexual sin. It's not just, you know, church, get it right. It's not just homosexuality that, that is unholy. It is adultery. It is sexual immorality. It's all this. This isn't an issue of the church against homosexuality. This is an issue of the church speaking on holy sexuality. The church has to clean up its act. If it's going to say homosexuality is wrong, so is adultery, church. So is premarital sex, church. So is any immorality in pornography, church. So let's not be any holier than thou when we've got in our own camp all this sin. Understand there's not one sexual sin that's going to go unpunished. 
That's why we need Jesus. We need Jesus when you can come in to Jesus. He says, again, he says, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, those who have stolen, those who are greedy, any drunkards, drug addicts, revilers, any swindlers. Gee whiz, this this almost sounds like Jacob. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's my favorite part. And such were some of you. Let me paraphrase it better. And so were all of us. This list exists in this room. If, if we have a visitor here today and you walked in and you think these people are, wow, these people are something else. Can I tell you what we are? We're that list. But because we've come to Christ, he goes on and he says, this is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the same way the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God has justified us. That same strength against sin, once you've come to Christ, is now on your side. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God has justified us and cleansed us of all unrighteousness, we've seen the face of God. We're forgiven. That ferocious power against sin now protects you. And is righteousness justified, declared by God. So we must now be the face of God. The forgiven sinner has now been given a new name. The righteous saint. Because you've seen and wrestled with God. And now you are a believer who's seen the face of God. You are the face of God. And so now when we go out of here today, whoever you face, they're going to see the face of God. Because you will forgive them. You will release healing to them. You'll draw them to the only remedy there is that you found in the face of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. There it is, the face of God. And the face of God has puncture holes in his forehead from crowns of thorns and possibly scars where they ripped out his beard. The face of God knows the pain of this life. The face of God understands the torture of all that we have been through, but he offers us consolation. Can you be the face of God for someone else? I know they wronged you. People have hurt you. People have failed you time and time again. But your capacity to love must be filled with his capacity to love you. You know the depth of your sin. Now, can you extend it to somebody else? Yeah, they messed up bad. They messed up bad. Some of you have been so hurt, so wounded. You're never going to get compensation from them. You never will. This is a lesson I learned from Paul. I'll cut it off here. But when Paul was in so much turmoil, he had a thorn in his flesh. 
He was constantly being brutalized by the Judaizers, ruining his ministry. Everything he tried to build, they'd come in and tear down. And he's, God, would you please get rid of this thorn in the flesh? Get rid of it, get rid of it. And God said one thing, my grace, what? Is sufficient. Now that sounds like a really cheap answer. <laughs> oh, thanks. Give me a, a hit on the arm. You can do it, son. Thank you. But no, 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 you've got to understand what he's saying. He's saying that relieving that pain isn't going to compensate for the trouble you've been in. That person getting it right and, and, and fixing it and restoring, that, none of that's going to compensate for the pain you've already been through. There's only one con- compensation that will satisfy a wounded heart, the grace of God, the forgiveness he's given you. That is fair and just compensation for what anybody's done to you. So be the face of God. The face of God is shining upon you. That's the meaning of blessing. May his face shine upon you. May his countenance rise upon you and give you peace. Bless you and keep you. You are the face of God. So you need to release. You need to forgive and become that face of God. Would you bow your heads with me right now?